0: Welcome to Women in Electronics, the only show that empowers, develops, advocates, and celebrates the accomplishments and advancement of women in the electronics industry. With your host, Jackie Maddox.
1: Well, here we are again today with another episode of Women in Electronics Leader and Highlight, podcast program. So I am so excited today to be interviewing somebody who's so well-respected and love you for joining us.
0: Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. I really appreciate this.
1: Aww. Well, I'm happy to interview you. And um, I've seen you over the years at different executive conferences and um, different events. Don't Didn't really know you personally, but this is so exciting that I'm able to have that time with you. So thank you for being here. Um, so as usual, we always start with asking our guests how they got their start in the industry. We ask everybody because it's like one of those things like, you know, do you raise your hand in kindergarten and say, I want to be in the electronic component industry. <laughs> so I'm always so curious how people got their start. So I'll turn that over to you, um, to let us know.
0: Okay. Well, I am one of those people who raised their hand in kindergarten, because as we have talked about as I often talk about, uh, the, I'm in a family business. We were founded in 1928 um, by my grandfather, not me. And um, we are, you know, some of my earliest memories are, are industry moments. So I remember when I was three years old and I was at a DMR, Distributor Manufacturer Rep Conference, um, and it was at the Cal Neva Lodge, and we got to swim back and forth across the state line. But I was meeting industry leaders, people who... Um, like Ken Prince and, and others who were very involved with the industry, Jack Berman and others who were there. So these were the people that I grew up with. Um, I worked in the business summers and vacations when I was in uh, high school and college. And um, I often tell the story when I went to get my MBA at Wharton, um, I had no intention of joining the business. It was the furthest thing from my mind. But then I realized that having this business gave me a huge opportunity to be able to be much more of a generalist. So I didn't have to be a marketing major out of Wharton that's going to manage rice check cereal, for example. Um, But I was going to get an opportunity to be involved with finance, to be involved with marketing, to be involved with new product development and so forth. And while the school was beside themselves, since I had far and away the lowest salary coming out of Wharton at the time. Um, and messed up their average for future admissions. Um, it was a great decision. And, and certainly 50 years on now, I'm delighted that I did it.
1: Wow. You know, that is very impressive uh, that you had that foresight because what interests me about our industry, if you look at Radio Row, you know, if you think of when the, the start basically of the industry you have had a, a very at a young age birds eye view into that whole thing it's really fascinating to me how far we've come from the early radio days you know i know we talked another time and you mentioned that um, you started in antennas your company and then it's evolved so maybe just talk to that real quick because i find that so interesting how you have changed and been flexible and agile it's very interesting I think it's
0: one of the things that's allowed us to stay in business for 94 years. Uh, We were founded in 1928, and our first product was what's called an antenna eliminator. And in the old days, when you had a radio, much like in the old days with a TV, you used to have to have an antenna on the roof. So we developed this product that replaced the need for a rooftop antenna, and you could just plop it on the back of your radio. And as we put it, it was a safety device because our ad showed some poor guy falling off a roof while he's trying to adjust his antenna. Um, I actually just came across on eBay this week and got a lightning arrester for antennas. So uh, it was one of our early products. It's ceramic and um, very cool. It must've been the second product that we did. But I, you know, and then we evolved. Uh, We got into car antennas. So we did the first antenna that you could put on a running board. Um, And then my grandfather sold off that business and got more into radio parts and we made radio kits Um, during the depression when people couldn't afford to buy a radio Um, and then it evolved into ham radio parts and therefore the enclosures and the capacitors and all of those things um, coils and whatnot that went with that but we have products so it goes both ways we have products like we call a mini box it's just a small aluminum box um, that's been in our line since the early 30s and what changes in our real value is we're a low-tech product in the high-tech industry. So it doesn't matter whether you're putting tubes in that box or you're putting the latest chips in that box. You still need a box of some sort. Um, But we've had to evolve dramatically. We really reinvent our focus in many ways every five to seven years because you have to make shifts um, in order to stay relevant. So our product line expands into different areas. It expands into different verticals. We've chatted briefly about Um, the dot-com bust. We Mm -hmm. lost 40% of our business almost overnight because we did heavily rack business. So we were able to pivot and we got much more into indoor, outdoor, smaller enclosures,
1: Mm -hmm. more
0: plastics. And while we're still doing enclosures, they change. Our marketing approach changed um, and we continue to evolve. We've recently develop the fastest ability to turn around modified products. you got to put poles in these boxes as beautiful as they are to mount the capacitors, the connectors, the wire, whatever else. We'll do that in five days. So that's industry leading. Again, a new niche for us, but a great opportunity to continue to meet what the customer is looking for. And that's what it's all about. It's sort of the tap dance pivot.
1: I love that because you went from antennas to enclosures. You know, that is definitely a pivot. (laughs) pivot. But staying current in the market, staying relevant. So now um, your products primarily go through distribution, correct?
0: Yes, we do. 80% of our products go through distribution. Um, We've been selling um, through distribution since the very early days, almost the radio row days. They predated us a little bit. Um, But I know uh, I had a picture that someone gave me of a bud truck delivering to Newark um, in the 1930s. So we've been doing business with them since the beginning. I think we were, if not at the first, we were definitely at the second EDS show. Um, And even EDS made a big difference um, because in the day, my parents had to adjust their wedding to make sure that my father could go to what was then what's now the EDS show because you just couldn't put anything else on the calendar during that time period. So they had to push their wedding back two weeks to make sure it coincided.
1: Wow. Oh my goodness gracious. That is uh, quite a story. (laughs) Um, So, okay. So you mentioned verticals. You know, our industry, the electronic component industry, it's so massive because we do touch so many verticals, right? I mean, you name it. I mean, there's... there's um, energy, there's medical, there's agriculture. I mean, you just name it, there's so many verticals we touch. So that's kind of the beauty of what you do because not all components, say manufacturers touch all the verticals, but you mentioned before that vertical. So you, you have quite an extensive customer base then. Um,
0: I, I think it would be very hard to find a vertical that, that enclosures don't go into and hopefully are enclosures, but we're involved. You've mentioned them. You know, there there's some fun things that we're involved with in agriculture. Um, we were involved with an enclosure that was tracking the um, the egg laying capabilities of chickens so that they could track which chickens were the healthiest. And they could do this remotely on these huge uh, situations. We worked with one person who was developing an approach to look at livestock and determine if their movements changed. It was a sign they might be getting sick. So they would give them antibiotics rather than totally uh, inoculating the whole herd, but even things like uh, irrigation, um, where, where you've got to enclose that sensor in something. So where do they need to water? Um, and, and I can go on in lighting, we're, we're actively involved with lighting. One of our top customers, interestingly, now is one of those people who, um, several of them, who project um, images on your house at Christmas time, um, and you don't think about that as an electronic component, but it, it really is because it's said it's got all of the sensors and all of the pieces going. Um, but again, you need the enclosure to protect it from the environment and to keep your product safe.
1: Wow. Yeah, and I all have... of
0: that goes through distribution, I should mention. I, I want to give a big plug for distribution. Most of our biggest opportunities go through distribution. <laughs>
1: amazing because i know just from being in the distribution world for so long i was working for a rep for so many years and the majority of our business went through distribution knowing how critical it is to have relationships with distribution and i think more than anything that's probably been your strength Is having those relationships, maintaining them, and working well and collaboratively together critical, right, for our industry? And then just to conclude, you know, what you do, I know that you do customization. I know you do quick modifications. So you're really in that prime spot, right, in the industry, very flexible, very agile. So thank you for what you do. I think you have an incredible organization and glad you're successful. And that's one of the reasons we wanted to interview you today, um, so I'm going to pivot a little bit and, you know, just talk to you about if I look at your company and, and we think about this podcast and people we would want to interview, it's people who have had success through challenges over time because we really need this wisdom in our industry. People who have been there, done that and have risen as they've gone along little dips here and there. And then they, they always come out ahead. So if you could say, Blair... What are some of those leadership principles, what is it that you would say when people think of you, what's your legacy? Like, what is it that you can impart on people listening?
0: Touched on it a little bit, and, and I don't mean to be redundant, but I think the ability that we want to do is to be able to look at a situation, analyze it and say, okay, we can sink or swim here. How do we pivot to what's next in our industry? How do we gather the right amount of information? You know, it's one of the changes I brought when I joined the business. My father was very much of an emotional leader and it was gut feel and numbers were sort of secondary. And so I was able and along with my brothers bring in a uh, much more data driven approach that I think has served us well, because you really have to keep looking at where your markets are, who's buying your product, who's new what they do. We spend a lot of time on our top accounts researching their websites, for example, making contacts, understanding their products, understanding what the opportunities may be, and meeting with them directly. But a lot of times that gets funneled through distribution, and so we're not as directly in that link. But I think the important piece is just to be always aware of what's happening around you. I constantly talk to my team about that, don't be satisfied with where we are because it's not going to work in three years. You've got to, what's new, what are, what are people doing that's different and how do you maintain your network, which is probably the most important thing we do for a relatively small business. We push to be connected, whether it's through the industry association, whether it's through groups like women in electronics, where we're, you know, delighted to be a part and, and co-sponsoring your next uh, conference that we're really excited about. So I think there's just so much opportunity to learn from all of the bright people that are in this industry and you just gotta keep doing it.
1: Wow. I love what you're saying because um, I think we just definitely have had some shifts. The data analytics are critical but we can't get too wrapped up in them. We have to have a little bit of the gut instinct that we pull in with looking at the data, right? So your your father's gut instinct capabilities combined with all those, the data analytics and all that is is really a magic formula. Um, And I agree with you with awareness. It's knowing your customers, knowing what they're doing, but also awareness of self. If we look at leaders and how we're moving forward, a lot of us need to really be aware of ourselves because that goes throughout the organization, um, really. So that's a really critical uh, point. And then you said evolving. We talked about this super critical. I notice a lot people have a hard time with change. Um, so we're growing and evolving with women electronics. But I notice that that's one of the uh, the areas that people get a little more uncomfortable is is all the constant change. So that's critical and important, too. And like you said, networking. I mean, really, you could probably attest to this in our industry. It, it's so relationship driven, right? Like you have to have the relationships.
0: It's incredibly relationship driven. And, and obviously, this was something I picked up from from almost birth. Um, you know, having gone to industry meetings and conferences and so forth growing up, You know, the other piece was that there were family components to this in those days, too. It wasn't shocking. I knew the kids of a lot of the leaders in our industry. But even today, um, just getting to know people well, getting to understand them, getting to know where they're thinking. I know we'll touch on mentorship before, but but one of my real mantras is you can learn from anybody at any given moment, wherever you are. And this is an opportunity that, that you don't get again. You're not in that situation with that person to just chat. And I'm not, how do I put this? I'm not necessarily the most outgoing person. You won't, you know, leave the room and say, wow, Blair was in that room and sort of, you know, suck the oxygen out of that room because he was everywhere. But I do find that getting those one to one contacts and just getting to know people and understanding how their businesses work, what they're thinking about, what concerns them, what keeps them up at night. Those are, you know, invaluable tools to help us figure out, wow, if they're thinking about this, should we be thinking about something in those same directions? And and we're always talking about what's next.
1: I like that a lot because I feel like our rising leaders would love for them to hear this, what you're saying, because I feel like there's a under emphasis on networking. Um, and there's so much of a task-orientated mentality of just get the job done. But really the networking part is is, is essential. So what we're going to do, because I told you ahead of time that I had so much to talk to you about and I'm not even, like we have so many more questions. So we're going to do part one and part two. So we're going to conclude with one more question and then we're going to to part two because I have so much more I want to talk to you about. But so to conclude part one, Blair, you mentioned the mentorship. And I think this is such a critical point. And that's why I wanted to allow some more time too. Talk to that a little bit. Talk to us about mentorship, how you view that, how you do that, who your mentors were too.
0: Okay. So obviously my first mentor was my father. I learned a lot about what to do and what not to do from him um, in many ways. Um, But you know, as I've grown up in the industry. It started out being people that were sort of industry icons early on. Um, I talk about people like Jack Berman, who was our rep, and he coined the term and actually wrote a book about synergistic selling. Before him, nobody talked about synergistic selling in our industry as the justification for reps. So many people, you know, I could, it's not even worth, because I'll leave off half the key people, but the key thing that I, I think I learned was involvement. Again, while we're a relatively small firm, we've always participated in the trade associations. It was EIA before, and I'm sitting at the table with, you know, the head of Motorola. And I'm, you know, it, these are just incredible moments. But, it, and I've learned that you can learn a lot more from your contemporaries. You don't need to have some executive you're hatching, you know, you're, you're cooking on to and, and expecting them to pull you up. I don't think that's really how mentorship appropriately works. You certainly want to have a key group of people that you can bounce things off of, but they can be of any age, of any experience, and in any industry. I think people make a mistake of saying, hey, I need someone within my company only, or I need someone within my industry only. Some of my best mentors, one of the guys that I continue to learn a great deal about is the um, head of an independent school here in Cleveland. He's one of the brightest, most creative people I've ever come across. I take many of his ideas on education, on training, on um, dealing with people as individuals and apply them to our business, both internally and externally. I think about people who've talked about characteristics. Um, I, I often talk about a, a woman, um, Kyoko Toyama, who was who the head of NKK, who gave me the best advice on personnel I've ever had, which is probably 70% of the people you hire are mistakes, and then you spend the next four to five years trying to prove you were right, giving you neither of the value. And so we've established an approach where we do ongoing reviews very early in the process, see how far we can get. And if we can't, then we assist them in in outplacement and moving them on. But we're trying to avoid this multi-year So again, that works great for me. But if I were someone coming up and I'm not doing hiring, you still need to keep looking for and listening to people like on podcasts that are going to give you advice that you can use in your own life.
1: Thank you for saying that, because I really believe this podcast is an in-form of mentorship. Not everybody gets to those executive conferences. Not everybody gets to meet all the leaders or people who have had the experience in the industry. So listening to these types of podcasts and listening to the wisdom, I think is so valuable. Um, but and and to conclude this mentorship, um, before we end this part one, how do you feel about say reverse mentorship? How do you feel about, you know, we've had a traditional model where we kind of go to people we see as experienced, but you mentioned, you touched on all different ages, all different diversity of mentorship. So what are your thoughts on that?
0: It's exactly tied into what I'm talking about. You find ideas and you find guidance and leadership in any age group and in any industry. So there are people that I call on when I've got a question who could be a decade or two younger than I am, maybe more. I certainly learn a lot from my grown children uh, mm-hmm. who are different industries, but doing fascinating kinds of things. And I'll bounce ideas off of them. Obviously, the one I deal with most is my son, who's president of our company, but again, he's always leading me in many ways, just as I'm leading him. And if you are so, I'm trying to think, what's stuck on the concept that you can only learn from people who have walked in your path ahead of you, then you're missing the rest of the world around you. It's very rare to come across successful people who you can't learn something from. The hard part is recognizing that you're not always right. And you have to listen to what they're saying. Um, My wife talks to me about that a lot, that I sometimes have that skill set. You know what? I think it's really important that you keep trying different things and talking to different people at all ages in our industry. I love to go up to the people that are, you know, some of the people I've learned the best from are, are younger product managers at our distributors, for example. And I'll call them and say, hey, listen, we're in this situation. What do you think? What are you hearing? I don't think age is an issue. I don't think position in the company is an issue. I'm not even sure industry is the issue. Again, I mentioned, you know, if you can't get to the top executives, volunteer in your community, find people that are doing, you know, a soup kitchen, but find out who organized that soup kitchen. What are they doing? What are their skill sets? What can you learn that you can apply to yourself? I mean, obviously, it's certainly important to be very involved in those activities, But in our communities, people are dying for for you to come in and and give up some time. I know we're all busy, but it doesn't take a lot. And and you learn so much different techniques because you're not necessarily always going to be in. Not everybody works for the same company for 50 years like I am. You're going to move to different structures, different cultures, and you need to be able to be flexible to tap dance into that new culture.
1: Yes, and humbling too. So that just warms my heart, what you said about community, because I think everybody can serve wherever they are. Look where you are, look what the needs are. There's drastic needs, especially right now. Um, so yes, serve, serve, serve is, is really a good message to conclude on. But okay, so we are gonna end part one, Blair, and we will catch you next time around with part two. So thank you for joining us.
0: Thank you. it has been great. listening to another episode of Women in Electronics right here in Orange County's only community radio station, octalkradio.net.